and uh, thank you very much for joining us for this RSS podcast. Uh, we gathered a team together today to talk about the Sequana judgment, which was uh, delivered by the Supreme Court this morning. It's a judgment that we in the restructuring and insolvency industry and indeed in the sort of uh, litigation industry as well have been waiting for eagerly because it's the first time that the Supreme Court has considered the duties of directors uh, owed to creditors when the company's in the, the, the verge, on the verge of insolvency and the, the exact point that the, those duties uh, kick in. So just going around the team quickly, uh, I'm Ross Miller and I'm a restructuring partner here in the London team and I'm joined by, uh, by my colleagues. Um, hi, thanks Ross. I'm Tina Lockwood. I'm also a partner in the restructuring and special situations team in London. I'm Kirsten Kitt. I'm a partner in our disputes and investigations team in London. And I'm Emma Lloyd. I'm a managing associate in the restructuring and special situations team based in London. Thanks, everybody. So, Emma, maybe you could get the ball rolling. Do you want to sort of set the scene for our listeners on uh, on what, what, what's been occurring this morning? Absolutely. Thanks, Ross. So, um, as, as you've mentioned, the Supreme Court has handed down its long-awaited judgment um, in the Sequana case, uh, which was heard back in May 2021. So, it's been over a year in the in the making. Um, the key points for consideration by the Supreme Court was whether the trigger for when the director's focus should switch from shareholders to creditors is merely a real risk of, as opposed to a probability of a close proximity to insolvency. And just by way of very brief background, the directors of a company called Arjo Wiggins Appleton Limited, or AWA, which was a paper coating business, caused it to distribute a dividend back in May 2009 to its sole shareholder, Sequana. At the time the dividend was paid, AWA was considered to be solvent, um, although it had a contingent environmental liability um, of an uncertain amount. There was a risk that AWA might become insolvent at some point in the future due to that contingent environmental liability, although it was not considered at that time to be probable. As it happened, the company did, in fact, enter into an insolvent administration process in October 2018. So that was over 10 years after the payment of the dividend. Um, now, BTI, the applicant, took an assignment of AWA's claims and claimed against the directors for the return of the dividend. BTI submitted that the director's decision to distribute the May dividend was taken in breach of the creditor duty because the directors had not, in fact, considered or acted in the interests of AWA's creditors. Um, however, this claim was rejected at both the High Court and also the Court of Appeal, since that risk of insolvency fell short of being probable back in May 2009. BTI therefore appealed this decision to the Supreme Court. And in the Supreme Court today, this was unanimously dismissed. Um, they held that AWA's directors were not at the relevant time under a duty to consider or to act in accordance with the interests of creditors in the circumstances of the matter. They held that the duty does not apply merely because the company was at a real um, and not remote risk of insolvency. So I'll pass on to the partners now. Um, so Tina. Thank you, Emma. And yes, a very relevant um, decision to the world that we work in. Um, I think we, from a practical perspective, we're obviously looking very closely um, at this decision because it is the first time we've actually seen written down um, Supreme Court guidance as to 
um, the director's duties and in particular how those duties are played out in the twilight zone of insolvency. So that period right before a company goes into formal insolvency. Um, I think looking at this from the perspective of an advisor to directors as they travel that journey through, you know, through working on a distressed situation, I don't think this changes too much the position that it was. I mean, as you quite rightly say, Emma, I think it was quite categoric that Supreme Court actually upheld um, the most actually of what was held at first instance on this point and then subsequently at Court of Appeal. I think there was one distinction that was drawn out, I think, in the judgment um, from having had a quick read. They do try and make a distinction that actually um, where the Court of Appeal had said it was sufficient that the comp that a company is likely to become insolvent at a future point in time, at some point in the future, um, that that would be relevant. The Court of the Supreme Court took a slightly different view, and said that actually such a likelihood may objectively exist before the interests of shareholders and creditors are in practice are in practice liable to diverge, and that would require the interests of um, creditors to receive a separate consideration. Um, I think we'll be looking at our director's duties advice in light of this decision, um, but I don't think much will change. Although, Kirsten, I think I'm interested to hear from a litigator's perspective when I think you're very much probably at the back end of something that has happened, looking into what was decided at the time that certain decisions were made by directors and whether you've got a different view on that. Yeah, I mean, I think from a litigation perspective, it's it's always helpful to have the Supreme Court setting down what the tests actually are. We now all know what the words that we're using for the test actually are, um, which is helpful when for several years we've had a bit of a patchwork of linguistics on this. But I think cases about breach of duty, whatever kind of breach of duty, actually, not just in this context, are always incredibly difficult cases to bring. Um, and I think my view is that this doesn't really make it any easier to, to resolve these cases. In fact, in some ways, it might make it more difficult because what the, the Supreme Court is saying here is that there are a whole range of factors that come into decision making at any given time. And that actually the landscape is a, co a constantly changing one. There's no line linear test applying at a given point of time. The court here is saying that there's there's a sliding scale. Um, you're, you're increasing your consideration of creditors' uh, duties as the situation with the company is becoming worse. And so I think it, it, it remains the case that on any kind of cases involving breach of directors' duties, there's a, a huge range of facts and evidence that are going to come in to what was going on in the company at the time. And that's particularly difficult when you've got particularly complicated companies with lots of liabilities and lots of different creditors and lots of things going on. So I don't think that makes things uh, any easier. And the other thing that's been uh, left undecided here, although there are suggestions from some of the different, um, in some of the different uh, uh, judgments, is what state of knowledge are we considering here for the directors? So if, if the test is, is around the probability of insolvency, what's left undecided is whether the directors have to know that or not. Uh, and that's different from the wrongful trading test, uh, for example. Um, so there are points that are still going to need to be argued out. And I think the other thing to mention is that in these cases, it's often the case that 
you sort of throw the kitchen sink at what the, what's gone on here and that you plead a lot of different uh, breaches of either the Insolvency Act or breaches of duty. And so it's it's sort of unhelpful in a way that the tests are are uh, quite, quite different. Um, and the other thing to comment, I suppose, uh, the outcome of this uh, for the parties in this case is that um, there was a point in the earlier decisions around Section 43 and the fact that payments of dividends were transactions defrauding creditors. But that didn't have any value to it because um, they'd made that claim against the recipient of the dividend rather than the directors themselves. So I think emphasises the importance still of throwing the kitchen sink at it and pleading all different um, uh, elements of a claim against uh, all relevant parties if you can if you can do that. Okay, so so actually probably not much clearer from your you're looking at it from your end of the spectrum, um, essentially. No, I don't think so. I have a I have a practical thought about how this plays into DNO insurance and whether actually anything might change there um, at all in light of this decision. My instinct is probably not, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Kirsten, on that also. Yeah, well, I'm sure insurers as well have been have been waiting for this uh, decision. I think they will be relieved in one sense that um, the, the duty hasn't been triggered at an earlier stage. They may be disappointed that the attempt at arguing there was no duty at all uh, wasn't taken up, although I think we all knew that that was highly unlikely. Um, I think for insurers, what I just said uh, remains the difficulty about the complex nature of um, whether or not liability is going to be established. It's it's very difficult before you're well into a matter to know whether or not there's there's some potential liability here for the decisions that we're taking. They're just such difficult questions. So I, th I think probably, uh, as you say, Tina, um, insurers will carry on much the same as they were. Is it also worth mentioning here that um, in the judgment um, today, the Supreme Court said that ratification by the shareholders cannot protect directors from not considering creditors' interests. So that's not a get out either by just getting uh, member consent. No, yeah, I think, I think I think that's a that's a useful point, Emma. That sort of was was considered. I think I think I'd, I'd always feel a little bit uncertain relying on that. Um, but I guess it's it's quite common practice in the context of things like dividends, which definitely applied in this case. So you know, it's it's an important thing to remember that, that as you say, that's not a get out of jail card. And I think it's sort of it's Kirsten's point sort of really bring home to me that you know, as as always, you know, when when we're looking at these things after the event you know th th there will be a sort of as broad an analysis applied as possible and so you know I think from our perspective as Tina said I don't believe that the way we advise directors will shift fundamentally as a result of this um, clearly everything will turn on its facts it will be very important that advice is taken you know appropriately whether that be legal or financial advice um as as required so that directors have all the information available to them and that they 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 take the time to record where where discussions have been happening why they've reached the conclusions they have and set out the, those 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 the, the the thinking so that you know when this is all looked at with 2020 hindsight there's that ability to sort of justify why decisions were taken and on what basis that was done i think the other thing that's sort of interesting which i, I think is helpful from the judgment this morning has been that I, with the court of appeal judgment i think there was there was a tent a, a, 
a, a temptation to align the this this discreditors duties test quite closely with the wrongful trading test and i think the judge has has clarified that effectively no there is this does exist slightly before the wrongful trading test although it's still much closer to the wrongful trading test than we probably we would have thought before the the sequana series of cases but uh, you know what it what it means to me is i think you know there is a period prior to insolvency where you can be in a situation where you can owe duties to your shareholders and you can owe duties to your creditors simultaneously and you will need to exercise a sort of balancing act in terms of working out how you weigh up the, any conflict that emerges. There's clear guidance here from the judge that in the event that the shareholders are effectively economically out of the money, that you know the duty is just focused on on the the creditors. But you know it will be during that period of nuance that directors could potentially be exposing themselves to potential claims by the shareholders. I think you know and and creditors, and so weighing up those those two competing interests will always be be very important and be the be the stuff that you know really needs to be thought about and 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 you know proper advice taken um so look i think we'll we'll wrap things up there this is very much a hot take um as i say it came out this morning and this is we just wanted to have initial reaction for for our our clients and listeners so but um thanks very much guys for for joining us here today and thank you everybody for listening thank you thanks russ